Okay, all right. Good evening again. My name is Brett Bartlett, and contrary to popular opinion, I will not be speaking for an hour and 15 minutes. And Craig Warner clapped with a little bit too much enthusiasm. And so our friendship is over. All right, so um, I do have an hour. Um, and uh, if not, it's been explained to me that this is indeed my last Sunday at First Baptist Church. <laughs> and so I, I've got to do, I've got a, a long way to go and a short time to get there as the Smokey and the Bandit song goes. And so we're going to get right to it. And uh, what I would like to do is just explain the HAF in light of a passage of Scripture that is not typically uh, a, a missions passage. And yet so many things that were said even today reinforced the idea. An old crusty preacher one time who, who sucked on his own fingers and wore the same suit four days in a row and slept in it. True story actually told me this at a restaurant while he was eating chicken bones. He said, he said, you can never do a missions conference without talking about evangelism almost all of the time. And, and he gave me some reasons for this and it was just reiterated and it's so many things about the HAF came to mind as I heard about Sam Miles preaching at a missions conference, and what was he preaching about? A temple that has feet. You know what that is? That's evangelism. And Jeff talked about needing to raise money, and you do need to raise money, and I learned this from Dr. Ruckman at that same conversation. I just said his name. I told, me, I told myself I wasn't going to mention his name. Right, there you go. All right. He told me this in, this in the same conversation. He said, one thing I've learned about ministry and marriage is this. People do not invest in what they love. People love what they invest in. And if you can't apply that principle to life and ministry, then you're going to find that, you, that nothing will ever work. The reason you go on missions trips and the reason that you preach evangelism is because if you want to raise money for missions, if you want people to invest financially into missions, they have to be investing into something that they love. People that are not personal evangelists will never really give with vigor. Now, they may give a lot of money because they have a lot of money. But they won't give sacrificially. They won't give their widow's might to something that they're not involved in themselves. And so you always have to put missions before, any, and, and Dr. Ruckman taught me this. He said it, it, every, every evangelistic sermon is a mission sermon turned inside out. All you have to do is change the words. And, and I have found that to be the case, and I actually did that, and not to be lazy, I, I, I preached a sermon that was an evangelistic sermon. I, I have very few evangelistic sermons, as it turns out. This was one of them. It's on, it's on Bartimaeus. Um, Jeff asked me what the title of the sermon was. I said, it's Blind Bartimaeus. Jeff said, that's it? That's your title? I mean, you couldn't do any better than that? No, I couldn't do any better than that. Blind Bartimaeus is, 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 is the passage. Is it an evangelistic sermon? Yes. And if you'll, if you'll apply it to your life as a Christian... It'll be a mission sermon. Let's see how it works out. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. <clears throat> and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. <clears throat> and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. <coughs> excuse me, and commanded him to be called. 
And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Tragedy is an inevitable portion of the human lot. We are fallen creatures in a fractured world, sinners both by constraint and by choice, simultaneously loathed and loved of our Creator who is as holy as He is charitable, punitive as He is pardoning. Misery, hounding us from the cradle in the form of time, treachery, or tragedy will eventually track each of us down. If 2018 taught me anything, it taught me that. When it does, and you must understand this, It won't necessarily be, and even probably won't be, God exacting justice for sin in your life. Well, what do you mean? John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. You see, friend, God doesn't have it out for sinners. At least not quite in the way that most people imagine. If you're a Calvinist, you believe that God has it completely out for sinners. He does, however, have it out for this world, and we live in this world, where the blind lead the blind and both fall into a pit. You will not escape tragedy in this life, none of this will, because God is going to judge this world and we live in it. Okay, so let me get this straight. A baby is born blind by no fault of its own or its parents. Imagine the pain. Imagine the heartache. Imagine the frustration and the agony. And for what? So God can get glory? That's the answer? That makes sense? I'm supposed to be comfortable with that? You see that? That's how man thinks. That's how I think sometimes. But that's not how God thinks. When a man's response in reference to the revealed person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word is a question, friend, you better watch out. Even if it's you asking the question, especially if it's you. Of course, not all questions are bad, but this one, because this question simply masks the meaning, this question is bad. Because the meaning behind this question is, I disagree. Does that make sense means I disagree. And that's, that's essentially what's, what our, our response is to these things. So you, you go over to a country that, 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 that's, that has a, a, a problem of immigration and prostitution that is so rampant that they literally will accept just about any person from America who will abide by five rules who will take care of their kids, and if you'll abide by these five rules and take care of their kids, they'll let you preach any message that you want to them. And all these kids are born, and all these kids have problems, and all these kids are sick, and all these kids are mount. Why? So God can get glory? See, in the flesh, that's hard to accept. And so a lot of people look at that and they go, I, 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 that doesn't make sense to me. Here's what they mean. I disagree with God. He should not have allowed this to happen. 
So what can we do? Either believe what God says about it or create a whole theological predisposition completely separate from Scripture that we superimpose onto truth to explain the fact that some people have blessed lives and are going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell and their life is miserable. Well, I say, I say that the latter is sickening. I say it's sickening. But if we're going to accept the former, then we have to accept the responsibilities incumbent upon it. So God disagrees with man, and man disagrees with God. So you got to ask yourself, who's in the tougher spot? Brothers and sisters, we are called to reach a world that has decided. It's important we understand this. You have to know what you're up against. We have been called to reach a world that has decided to pass judgment on God. A dumb idea if there ever was one, but alas, man is dumb. As ambassadors of heaven, our job is to present to them the entire case so they can at least make an informed judgment. Yes, to God, there is nothing even collectively more valuable than his own glory. And if you think about it, if he didn't view his own glory thusly, he wouldn't be God. I mean, what in the final analysis is the point of being this supreme being if you are not going to be consumed with your own glory? But let me show you something amazing about that supreme being as revealed to us in his supreme book. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 17, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. He could have. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's what we deserve. He didn't do that. For as heaven is high above the earth, so is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now watch this. This is in reference, by the way. This is in reference to people before the new birth. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, and the flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. God knows the state a lost man is in. He knows it, and he's sympathetic towards it. He knows he's blind to his glory. He knows he doesn't understand. He knows that he's bitter and tired and scared and disappointed. That's a perfect description of your average Hungarian male. Bitter, tired, scared, and disappointed. And if you're going to reach that person, you need to know how he thinks and you need to know how God thinks. And as it turns out, what you think doesn't really matter that much. And I know that sounds, what are you talking about? It doesn't. You know what people need? They need the word of God. They need the gospel. And, 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 and even if you're Jonah, even if you're a racist, rebellious idiot who actually doesn't want him to get saved, if you preach the gospel, they'll do it anyway. And you can pout about it. It's bizarre. Here's what we need to know about these Hungarians, about Albanians, 
about people from T County. I say T County because I can never pronounce Tuscarawas. So I just go with T County. We're a stinking name for a county in America, in my opinion. God pities them, do you? He pities them. To what level? I'll tell you how much God pities them. Go home, play with your kids. Put them to bed. Watch them freak out because they want to be with their parents because they're scared of the dark. Mm. That's not John Calvin's God. There's something to be thankful for. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Where, where was the blind man? Bartimaeus was from Jericho, a cursed city situated hard by Jerusalem, meaning that for Bartimaeus, God wasn't nearly as far off as he seemed. Help wasn't as improbable as he thought. Do you know where God is? And folks, at the end of the day, this is the purpose of the Great Commission. Because God needed this to be true practically in the lives of lost men. God is always at hand. And light and sight and hope and salvation is on the nearest highway. God knows what the lost is going through and he cares. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For who? For the elect? No. Because God wants to make intercession for every man, because every creature is manifest in his sight, we should hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us there come, uh, therefore come boldly before, uh, before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give grace. He wants to help people in time of need. Who? All the creatures that are manifest in his sight. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He was despised, rejected, shamed, beaten, broken, blamed. The difference being he didn't deserve it. He was just. He suffered for us. His pain was cause, not consequence. He is not a God who is afar off. He wants to go through it with you. He wants to help you. Friends, the greatest news I ever heard in my entire life, the greatest news I ever heard was this. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And if you want the greatest friend in the universe, all you have to do is identify as a sinner in need of a Savior. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, this will be the last offering I give to you specifically. Pay attention to what you're about to hear. But for the saved in this room, we've talked and made much about Paul being a pattern for our lives. That pattern is this. Missions begins with the understanding of the body of Christ 
submitting to this truth. We owe the debt of the gospel to every lost person that we know. And until you invest in this world, you will not love it. Missions begins with personal evangelism, so I want to very quickly point out a few elements of our passage for you to consider. The first being taken from verse 46, that first element being the crowd. Look at it in verse 46a, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people. The Bible tells us great is the mystery of godliness. And here comes the eternal God. God manifest in the flesh from his high and holy place down to miserable mankind veiled in the frailty of Adam's flesh taking the time to pass. Now listen, taking the time in his earthly ministry three and a half years to pass through a cursed city on a cursed planet filled with a cursed people who are completely ignoring a cursed man who is helpless to save himself from a cursed condition. Lo, he approaches the light of the world, shining in a dark place, the bread of heaven, the fountain of living waters, to succor these sterile and sapless dead branches broken from the true vine through Adam's rebellion. Yet the vine has now grown and extended to the citizenry of Jericho down its own municipal highway and is willing, eager even, to engraft them back to their intended state, deposed to make them again green and supple and fruitful. Now Christ said this, and for my money it's one of the most underrated missions passages in all the Bible. I am the vine. You know what you are? You're the branches. And when I leave this world, the church is to grow its branches into every highway, down every municipal city, to find the one blind Bartimaeus that exists in every city and town and village and municipality on this planet. Because, friend, I believe that there is one. And that one is worth leaving the 90 and 9. Christ is not here on this planet today, but his branches are, not physically. You are the temple. You have the feet. You are the branches that grow along the ground and run and spider and finger and network into all of the world. The Great Commission exists because not worship doesn't. That doesn't even make any sense. That's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because lost people need to be saved. You don't have worship without people getting saved. Only somebody who deep down in his heart doesn't believe that a bunch of lost people have the potential to be saved would say something as asinine. Missions exist because people are going to hell. Missions exists because the church, they are the branches. Jesus of Nazareth, though God willing to condescend to men of lower estate, willing to love his enemies, only to be viewed upon with skepticism and revilement, 
only finding interest as a means of entertainment through perchance some miracle or free lunch. Only to be lightly esteemed, if at all, by that, listen, that great number of people. We don't go to reach the great number of people. We go for blind Bartimaeus. Because the great number of people are not yet physically withered. They will be. They will curdle like cheese. They are not yet physically wanting. They are not yet physically blind. And they are unable to discern their spiritual maladies. No, friends, there was but a solitary man among the casually religious, ardently sensual throng who would benefit from this incredible circumstance. The old, blind, begging, broke joke Bartimaeus who had but one thing and one thing only going for him. He knew that he had a need which only divine mercy could meet, which was good for him, as it is the only thing God is looking for among the raging, foaming, swelling sea of sinners. Matthew chapter 7, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life eternal, and few there be that find it. Next verse. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I suppose the great calamity of Western culture is the number of people who confuse curiosity about Jesus with conversion to him. Those who praise, praise, and worship, worship, and love, love, and serve service, and think that the gates of hell not prevailing against us means that we will be able to attend Hillsong concerts until Jesus comes and no one can stop us. But in their hearts, where God alone sees, they have fallen short of the praise and the worship and the love and the service of Jesus Christ. They, like the Athenians and strangers of Acts 17, obscure authentic biblical New Testament Christianity with spending their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Because all you have to do is ask DC Talk. God's doing a new thing. never taking the time to examine the evidence which points to the true identity of Jesus of Nazareth and his words which have already been revealed. The words which he spake, those old words, those ancient words. Those words he spake, though he walked among them, the evidence parading through their streets, the words of his glorious revelation echoing from his body, his very voice, down their own highway. Listen, man, there's always a crowd around Jesus Christ. But the crowd has a problem it just can't ever solve. Do you know what the Jesus crowd's problem is? John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they 
are they which testify of me, and ye will not come that ye might have life. They have their own life. They're coming to Jesus for another reason. That's the problem of the Jesus crowd. And so I want you to look at the character. But Kale and Brooke, they're going to, you know what they're going to? You ready for this one? They're going to one of the only nations left in the European Union. One of the only nations left on the planet, and I believe there's officially seven, and there's practically four when I talk about theologically political. And I don't have time to explain that tonight. Hungary claims to be a Christian nation. The whole nation claims to be the Christian crowd. They have a problem. You'll have a hard time walking around Budapest for four days and find a single person who would come to Jesus Christ that they might have life. So let's look at this character. This, this character, by the way, is the person that, that Brooke and uh, Kale, whatever his name is, forgot his name. I remember Brooke, I forgot Kale's name. I hope Brooke has a great ministry over there. <laughs> this is the person Kale's looking for. You're funding Kale to go find this guy. Kale will not be speaking to stadiums of people. Kale will be finding the guy who lives under the stadium. (laughs) And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side. You know what he was doing? He was doing exactly what this world is designed to get him to do, exactly what every man is without Jesus Christ. He's begging. He's a beggar. Now Jericho, I am told, haven't been there, Jericho, I am told, is actually quite beautiful. Set before the backdrop of lush green hills lying lazily beneath the deep azure of the Mediterranean firmament, generously adorned with palm trees. Notwithstanding, as previously stated, it was a wicked city filled with wicked people and a wicked world, but that doesn't mean that there isn't significant, even, residual beauty from the dispensation of innocence. But a blind man... A blind man can't appreciate that. You see, Bartimaeus couldn't enjoy any of it, at least not the visual wonder. You know what that is? That's a portrait that God has given us of a lost man who has not received the gift of eternal life offered through the gospel. He is surrounded by the beauty and mercy and power of God. He is enveloped by the general revelation of physical creation. He can observe the sun and the moon and the stars obeying in their courses. He can test and measure the sheer odds of where and how we exist and the minute variances by which this planet and the lives of its inhabitants are sustained. He can peruse the annals of civilization and apprehend that only those cultures which allowed at least the governing ideals of Mosaic order and its jurisprudence to peaceably and righteously govern, have been able to subdue our common lewdness and baseness and malevolence, allowing them and their posterities to enjoy at least some protracted semblance of liberty and morality and safety and justice. 
He can compare the simply framed prophecies of the Bible to what he sees on the news and realize that he is living in the very 11th hour of God's night watch if the Bible were to be literally believed. He can then collate these observations considering how the specific revelation of the Word of God operates in Congress with the whole sweep of legitimate Newtonian science, unbiased philosophy, accredited history, current events, and the observable sophistication of human emotion as subjected to the banal repetitions and responsibilities, the tragedies and triumphs, the traumas and dramas of our shared mortal struggle, and how all of it, the mammoth aggregate, present an incisive verification of every claim of Scripture, both natural and supernatural, especially those claims of the gospel, to wit, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he, in so doing, rose from the grave subsequently, rendering irrelevant and specious all worldviews and religions operating under the moniker Christian are otherwise." Yet in spite of this beauty and truth and hope which literally surrounds him, he cannot see. What calamity. His only hope, one of the branches, joined to the vine, would make its way down the highway of his obscure village. Well, why? If it's as obvious as you say, if it's as clear as you make it, why can so many not see, many of whom being much smarter and more knowledgeable than you, a mere verbose Baptist preacher with a big forehead screaming in a big auditorium? Well, that's a great question to be sure. And here's what God proffers as an explanation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing what <coughs> we have this ministry. Do you attend this ministry? Or do you share it? So you know what? I, don't, I, 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 I get this complaint a lot. Bre Brett has favorites. Of course I have favorites. You know, like the people who show up? <laughs> I, I, I like them. The people who put money in a plate? Well, you like them? Yeah, I have an insidious plan. I do. I mean, the way we're structured, every time somebody comes to this church, Wildwood, the deacons pay me a percentage more. Do you believe that? Folks, I get paid the same yeah, I want to read. My insidious plan is to take money from rich Americans who are saved and give it for the purpose of having lost people who don't know the Lord get saved, who are poor. That's he 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 he. As I curl my handlebar mustache. <laughs> and, and yeah, the people who do that, I like them more than the people who don't. So whatever. 
paint me pink and call me Susan. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> of course I have favorites. Are you kidding me? The people who like me, I like them more. I'm a jerk. We have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to who? To the elect's conscience. No, to every man's conscience in the sight of God. How do we do that? How can we claim that we have a ministry that we use to commend ourselves to every man in the appeasement of our gospel consciousness? How do we do that? By understanding this, the God of this world has made lost people blind that they cannot see. And that is why, verse 5, we preach, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's an evangelism, an, uh, an, an evangelism passage. No, it's a missions passage. It's a Christian life passage. Yes. And it's very convenient for a Laodicean to try and compartmentalize those things, is it not? Natural man cannot see because he has an enemy whose power and craft and villainy surpass human understanding, who inveterately hates him, <clears throat> who has rigged this world system to keep him in bondage to things and experiences and information which have been distorted that he should slumber and stumble and grope through life guided by other blind men's philosophical conjectures never knowing that he is, or they are, blind. For he, as they, have never known sight, unaware that Plato himself never clawed his way out of the cave of his own making. <clears throat> Oblivious to a creator, to the love of Christ, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to the only solution for the unspeakable eternal horrors that await him, the second the silver cord breaks. Just as blind Bartimaeus sees no beauty in Jericho, the lost man is visionless of the beauty of Christ and his mercy and his provision. He cannot see God provided him the precious riches of family. He cannot perceive God gave him ministers of righteousness, the Bible calls them, we call them police officers, who hazard their lives every night while we watch Seinfeld and eat popcorn and dream our little safe Baptist dreams. He does not know God orchestrated his visit to the doctor which detected a growth which he, which, could not have been stopped had it been but a few more days. He cannot see that the greatest disappointment of his life actually shielded him from unendurable emotional pain. No friends, do you know what a spiritually blind man does instead? Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art, thou judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, 
that judgest them which doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Wow. Alexander Pope wrote, Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Some of you said, no, that was Elvis or Frank Sinatra. Alexander Pope beat him to the punch on that one, trust me. You know, he was right. But why do fools do that? Because they're brave? No, because they're blind. A blind man can't see danger. A blind man doesn't know he's on thin ice or a narrow passage next to a cliff or miraculously averting danger going 90 miles an hour on a dark highway, drunk and bleary-eyed, munching on fast food while swerving all over the road, passing deer and potholes and people that he never even sees while fumbling on his iPhone. He's but fractions away from eternal hellfire. He's not brave. He's blind. He's ignorant. He's stupid. A blind man can only find emotional attachment with what he can feel or hear. He can be surrounded by the majesty of a sunrise while clinging to some dead wooden cane, getting more emotional and intellectual stimulation from a curved stick than from the wonders of the master artist and the firmament which declares its creator's glory. That vast portrait of divine witness to his conscience painted upon the canvas of the cosmos under which he shuffles unaware through life. Why? Because he's blind. And because he's blind, he's totally dependent on man for direction. He is a beggar. The world is designed to make a man a beggar. That's what we're doing. That's what money and sports and sex and people and things and money and power and position and promotion. That's what it's about. In youth, he may very well convince himself of his worth, but as the clock ticks, friends, as the clock ticks, he feels the uneasy, steadily growing awareness of his own mortality. You know what he's realizing? That no matter his station in life, he is dependent upon some other man to make him happy. He is dependent on some circumstance to give him just a few more days before the panic sets in. Never filled, never satisfied, no toy, no one, no thing, no position, no income, no experience will ever satisfy him. One day, as aforementioned, this morning, he checks into the hospital for the last time. You know what he's doing? You know what he's doing? He's begging. Begging like Voltaire, who while expiring, thrashed in panic, offering his physician half his fortune for a few more days of life. Because man has a hole in his soul that can only be filled by the Spirit of God, that Spirit who alone can free us from the bondage of sin and dependence on people and circumstance for contentment. That Spirit who can cause man to approach the deathbed as a victorious conqueror, as a rich ruler's son receiving an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, instead of rattling out his final ghost-like breath as a surf to sensuality. What is your answer to that problem? 
What is Hungary's answer to that certain problem? What is that certain answer? When has anyone or anything even professed to provide you with a solution to sin apart from the friend of sinners and the message of his glorious gospel? And what if you will not offer that to the lost and blind beggars of this world do you have to offer? What are we going to do? We're going to have a missions program around here where we make wheelchairs out of spare parts of broken bicycles and dig wells in Guatemala, and then what? Build a roof and not witness to one person and come home and show slides and call that a missions endeavor? Is that what we're going to do? Who's going to care for their soul? No, we got to go in with evangelistic unction that makes orthodoxy function. And we've got to win souls and we've got to make disciples and we have to build churches. And we have to follow God's program for this age because that is what people need. Blind people don't even know what they need. How sad is it that the Southern Baptist Convention's method of evangelism is nothing more than, dare I say, the blind leading the blind. And a pox upon any church system that is designed to split churches into five churches to say that they planted four. Wow. Ain't the judgment seat of Christ going to be a thing, man? Ain't it going to be a thing? And so this blind beggar cries out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Ah, be quiet, be quiet. He knows this is his one shot. He heard that there's a guy named Jesus of Nazareth who can, who can cause the lame to walk. He, he can cause the, wait a second, the blind to see. So he cries out the more louder, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And here is the most amazing consequence I think you can find in the Gospels. I mean it. To, to me, it is the equivalent. It is the equivalent of Lazarus being raised from the dead. The only thing that beats it is the resurrection of Christ himself. So, well, what is it? A blind, bothersome, broken, bereaved, bereft, beggar cries out from a crowd of religious activity. Jesus was walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and all this praise and all this noise and all this excitement and he's walking and he's walking and he's walking and he hears one blind beggar and what does it say? He stood still. That's what gets his attention. That's amazing.
Here is Christ, the Son of God. Isaiah says that his name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do you know what he's doing in Jericho? He's going through to die in Jerusalem to take the sins of the whole world on his shoulders to become sin for us who knew no sin. But as busy as he was and as much as he had on his mind and as grieved as he was as a human, he stops to heal a single, forgotten, blind beggar. He stinks, he's despised, he's weak, he's worthless, he's helpless, and someone says there's Jesus, but the bum can still hear. And Jesus stops and says, thy faith is made thee whole, thy faith. And Jesus, though so busy, and though so stressed, and though so important, and though so rich, and though so powerful, and though so high and holy, and and Bartimaeus, though so wretched, And though so weak, and though so forgotten, and though so ignored, and though so mocked, and though so blind, cries out in despair, hear my humble cry, friend of sinners, do not pass me by. And God, he stands still. And so today... This same Jesus who has passed into the heavens for death could not defeat him, for the grave could not hold him, for hell could not contain him, for the devil could not depose him and is presently seated at the right hand, even today, even now, do you know what gets his attention? No matter what happens down on this planet, no matter what newsreel, no matter what major event, no matter what major championship, no matter what foul at the end of a game, you know, controversy. The big controversy of our day was some guy from Auburn, some white boy shooting a three-pointer. Was he fouled? Let's talk about it for four days. And up in heaven, all the angels do the whole time is cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stop except for one exception. Do you know what the Bible records causes the angels to stop and give praise? One blind beggar who comes to repentance still makes Jesus stand still. And that's why we do missions. And that's why this is important. Now, I'm going to tell you something I probably shouldn't tell you. You are looking at what might in the final analysis be the great hypocrite of the final watch of the church age, Brett Bartlett. Aren't you the guy that makes a big deal about local church? Yep. And aren't you the guy that makes a big deal about crossing his T's and dotting his I's? Yep. So, so what's the story of the HAF? That's a weird name for a local New Testament church. Indeed it is. Hungarian American Fellowship is a strange name for a church. Beats a sent community all to pieces, if you don't mind my saying. But anyway, it's a weird name for a church. If there is an ascent community church in this county, 
I didn't know. Please, I don't want any write-ups in the paper, all right? So what did we do? I got a phone call from my brother. My brother said, I just obligated you to do a church camp this summer. You need to get some people together. Called me at three o'clock in the morning. Why? Because it was still a decent time for him, you know, and hungry. Like, my brother did not say, I bet my brother's asleep. I don't want to wake him. He called me. I picked up the phone. We need to do this camp. Why? There's a bunch of kids. You wouldn't believe their condition. You wouldn't believe what they go through. I don't know what to do with it. You're the preacher in the family. You need to do something about this. That's what he said. I, 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 I need to do something about it. Yeah. So we get over there, and Hungarian officials tell us, we, we, you need to create an NGO. I don't, wh- what's that? An NGO. What's an NGO? Well, I mean, it's a national government organization. What's that? Do you know another preacher that we can work with? You know, it was that kind of a deal. I'm like, man, well, we got to do something. So I had my mom create the, uh, an NGO. I don't do anything, you know. So my mom goes about doing that, and that creates what they said. We can't have a church come over here, so in order for you to help these kids... Uh, we need to create, this is what they said, we need to create a Trojan horse so we can get you under there under the guise of an NGO, but the NGO has to actually be real so it's not a guy, so we don't all get in huge trouble, and you need to be willing to work with former members of the Communist Party in order to put on a camp. And I said, well, okay, we'll do anything you ask within reason, but we have to be able to at least preach the gospel. No, you can't do that. Okay, thank you, goodbye. They call me back the next day. Well, why won't you come and do it? Listen, guys, I didn't tell them this, and I didn't even think of it at the time, but the answer is this. Because nobody was caring for their souls. Every religious organization in the world, given that same opportunity, would have taken the opportunity that we had. God gave it to us. The irreducible minimum of our mission activity has got to be the spreading of the gospel. And if the foundation of it isn't that, you have nothing. But what I found was this. I found that the continuation of it demanded a local church. We didn't have a local church over there. We had one that was willing to work with us and I was willing to work with them until our first year and our girls from our church showed up in shorts. Well, we can't do that. We found one group of Americans. You know where they were from? They were from Canton, Ohio. (laughs) They're not going to work with us. Why? Because our girls wore shorts. All right, well, you need to go stick your head in the toilet two times, three times, and pull it out twice, and we'll we'll go find another church. We couldn't find a church, but we had the opportunity. My point is this. Did we ever find a church? Okay, here it comes. Here comes the lightning bolt. No. We never found a church. Well, that's not a legitimate mission. Amen, it's not legitimate. Well, so what are you saying? I don't even know. I don't know where this is going. I'm scared. (laughs) We couldn't deny that God had given us the opportunity. We couldn't deny that. So we did everything that we could do. It wasn't perfect and it isn't perfect. 
But what I did not know was this. That stepping forward on faith and doing what we could do and what we knew to do and making sure that we wouldn't do what we knew not to do, God just gave us piece by piece by piece by piece. And we began to pray fervently that God would send somebody there who could follow up, who could hit the ground running with almost 800 contacts. I get an endless, I have seen and still visit the very first girl I ever met. I think she gave me lice. I actually had to stay in an orphanage the first year I stayed for part of a summer in an orphanage and I got lice. I had to come be de-loused. They wouldn't let me into America. They sent me to Canada. I had to go to Windsor. I'm not kidding. They like threw like white junk on me and they like put an old like salon dryer on my hair and like burned the vermin off my body. <laughs> well, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I mean, I love Jesus, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's, this is just getting stupid. I was de-loused. That girl, she was about this tall, and she wanted me to hold her, and her name was Yunji, and she wanted me to hold her, and I was bouncing her on my knee, and she gave me a big hug, and she whispered something in my ear that, of course, I couldn't understand, and a translator who happened to be there heard what she said and started laughing, and I said, what did she say? And she said, Please call me your little princess. Please call me your little princess. That girl is a prostitute in Vienna, Austria today. If I would have known that, then I would have moved there just to keep that from happening, I swear. God used this church who was doing what it could do who didn't have that opportunity but was training somebody to go. And he put Jeff and I together to send a kid with a Nickelodeon tattoo on his calf. <laughs> because first Baptists can do what Wildwood can't. We could only do what we could do. And you're doing what we can't. And we're doing it together. And that's beautiful. And I believe that the blind Bartimaeuses of Hungary are waiting for the weird kid from T County with holes in his ears to show up. 
I love you guys.